Goo Goo Gaga. Welcome to Healthcare Marketing Insights for the week of February 1, 2010. This is Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, healthcare marketing firm that puts out the podcast. And with me today is Adam Meyer, design director at Interval. And Jackie Ritaco, account coordinator at Interval. Yeah, and the introduction to our show was a was a shout out to our new baby daddy in the house, Adam. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Woo-hoo. It's uh exciting and tiring and uh pretty much a one of a kind uh deal. I think you there's really no words to describe what it's like to have a kid. I think you just have to uh you have to experience it. Yes. But it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty pretty amazing. It's been a lot of fun so far. Us, it's only been it's only been a week. Give us some details. Give us give us a name if you're comfortable and um all the important stats. <laughs> All right. Well, his name is Max. Uh, Maxwell is the whole name. Maxwell. We, of course, call him Max. He's uh, He was seven pounds, nine ounces when he was born, 19 and a half inches long. Um, very healthy. Uh, very got a good set of lungs on him. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, he doesn't seem overly fussy yet. I know I've got friends who had kids who were just fussy as could be for uh quite a while and some never grew out of it but i don't know he seems like he's probably pretty average for the fuss level not that i have anything to compare him to <laughs> but he eats a lot sleeps a lot that's that's about it right now <laughs> well i'm pretty sure but, that you basically went to the hospital right after the last podcast didn't you yeah I, yeah after our last podcast um i got up to check on uh my wife glenna and she was basically told me that we needed to get in the car and go. <laughs> so literally five minutes after the last one, we were, we were on our way to the hospital, Maple Grove hospital. And, uh, not too long after that. Well, I guess it was a little while after that, but, uh, probably around, right around nine o'clock that night. She was, uh, we were holding our, our new, uh, our new boy. That's Very great. Cool. Okay. Congratulations. Well, gonna... Thanks. We'll expect weekly updates in every podcast on the <laughs> physical and mental growth of your child. All right. I'll see if I can I'll see if I can find a good little photo we can put in the show notes or something. Yeah, there you go. Good idea. There you go. Okay. So should we switch to healthcare marketing? Sounds good. Sure. Woo. <laughs> okay. I wanted to share this because I, I just thought it was an interesting thing. Um and it's it's not hospitals and health systems, but it is Still healthcare marketing in my mind. Uh, Medica, which is the second largest insurer in Minnesota, started a program. I'm going to say it was like three or four years ago. They call it Fit Choices by Medica. Uh, They claim they were the first uh, health plan. Well, they say the first. I don't know if it was in the state or in the world. But basically what it is is if you go to uh, one of a few different fitness clubs, a certain number of times. So it was eight. So if you went to a fitness club eight times a month, you would get a $20 discount from Medica toward your fitness club membership fee. Right. Uh, and it was one of the things that really helped me. I've been exercising regularly for well, it's almost four years now. And it wasn't the reason why I started doing it, but it was a, a huge incentive for me to set make sure I always sit at least eight times a month uh, and help me get in a habit of exercising regularly. Now I don't use it so much as an incentive, 
but it's still important to me to try to hit that eight. You know, the 20 bucks is neither here nor there. It's just a nice goal to set, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a pretty innovative program when it came out. I know a lot of folks do that now. But they just sent me a letter saying that beginning March 1, they're increasing the number of visits from 8 to 12. And here's mm-hmm. what they said. Studies have shown that individuals benefit from getting at least 30 minutes of exercise most days of the week. Increasing the monthly attendance requirement from approximately two times a week to three times a week encourages individuals to fit more exercise into their daily routine. And my reaction to that was, oh, bull crap. <laughs> Seriously, I think, I think it's all about money. I honestly oh, think that totally. they're trying to cut expenses. They're paying too much mm-hmm. money. Uh, it's probably valid what they're doing. It's legitimate to say you should get more exercise. Uh, but I don't think you could look me in the face with a straight expression and say, we think this is going to improve the health of our membership. Right. right? I mean, don't you think there'll be more people that just drop out or don't use it as an incentive to go because it's too hard to do than right. will actually increase their exercise? That's my take. What do you guys think of that? Well, I think that eight times a month for the average Joe is still quite a, quite a bit. I know that a lot of other programs do require 12 times a month right off the bat, so that could be why they switched to this, but... It's, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's a pretty hefty increase. I mean, for anybody who's gotten yeah. used to doing the eight times a month thing, going to 12 is, um, that's, that's pretty substantial. That's a, it's a what 50. is that, 100, 100, no. well, yeah, 50%, 50%. more. Yep. It's so, like three times a week, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you can do it, great, because, I mean, if you could go even more than that, great. But, yeah, it certainly is a... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That's that's a little harsh for anybody who is used to to used to the old way. Well, but it's, Chris, I, I can... got. Oh, go ahead, Jackie. Well, I was just gonna say I got the letter and I kind of thought the same thing you did. That I highly doubted that it was to increase, you know, the health and fitness of people by making them go to the gym more. But it was probably because too many people were taking advantage yeah. of it. That's yep. kind of how I felt. And and I, you know, I set. I set goals for myself for wellness. I actually write them down and track them on my refrigerator because it really does help me stick to them. And eight, going to the club eight times a week was my goal for a couple of years uh, because of this. That's how I set it. And eight I found that week? I could uh, eight, eight times a month. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I found I, could do, I found I could do that fairly easy and then changed it to 10. So two times a week and then three times the other week. Uh, but I don't know that I've gone 12 times the entire four years I've been doing this. I got three kids. I've got a business, you know, I got other interests. It's really hard. I mean, I, I, it's aspirational and I probably should be doing it. I exercise in other ways to compensate for not going three times a month or a week. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just wonder, wonder what the, the net result of that will be. I, my guess is not healthier people, but anyway. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Okay. Interesting. Fascinating. It's all about <laughs> me. Let's get <laughs> Okay. Next I wanna I wanna just give a shout out to Gianna Shaw from Health Leaders Media, who has a nice blog uh that we follow, or at least I follow regularly. Uh and she posts she posts something new every Wednesday at least and sends it out via e newsletter. And this week it was called the State of Healthcare Marketing ROI. And the gist of it was Look, if we're going to talk about ROI, let's please all use the same definition of it. ROI really means financial ROI. It means 
take, you know, figuring out how much money your effort brought in and subtracting how much your effort cost and what is the net gain or loss from that. Uh, so many marketers use ROI to mean success or results or a much more vague kind of description. Uh, and it may seem like semantics, but I just think it's really important because it can get you in trouble. We've talked about this before, I think, on the podcast. Uh, but I just wanted to point people to that. And, and there's good reasonings in the in the blog post itself. So we'll provide a link to it. But uh, I think it's really important as an industry if we can try to make that a standard. Mm-hmm. Can I get a hallelujah from the crowd? <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Okay. So we'll move on from that. And I wanted to talk just briefly about uh, a book I started reading called The Brand Bubble. Have you guys heard of this? Yeah, I've heard of it. I have not read it, but I've heard of it. I've heard of it too, yeah. I'm just starting out in it. uh, And so maybe what I'll do is I'll give updates as I go through it. Uh, the, The premise of the book I think is easy to explain, but it might get too economic for some people. Basically, what they're trying to do is say, if you think of like the real estate bubble we just had, where basically people valued real estate much higher than it was actually worth. And when that inflated valuation as across the whole country turned and went negative, people, you know, the whole thing collapsed, right? The bubble burst. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can think about it like the internet stock bubble in the 90s as well, where you know, people people put stock valuations on Amazon or uh, you know these other companies that were all based on the internet that were astronomic. And then when you know when it came around and people said that oh, there's really not that much value in these companies, the bubble burst. Okay, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So they're drawing the same comparison to brands, quote unquote. And what they mean by that is, if you think of the market capitalization of any company, which is basically if you take all the stock that's owned and the price of that stock and you multiply it out, that's the market capitalization. So it's basically all the owners of the company and how much they've paid for their shares in the company. If you total that up, that's how much the the, the company is quote unquote worth. Okay? okay. So a market capitalization might be billions of dollars for a big company. Well, if you look at what that what that value is versus what the company is actually worth. There's the tangible assets. So the factories, the, the staff, the, the things that you can actually put a money monetary value on. And then there's the intangible assets, which are things like brand value, uh, reputation, patents, trademarks, all those intangibles and the future value of what this company would bring. How much, you know, how much do you expect it to bring in profits over the years? So that's the economic part that might be hard to follow. But basically, you know, their studies and most studies show that for most companies, the intangible value is the brand value is roughly 50 to 70 percent of the total. So it's way more than the tangible, which which makes sense, actually. And what they're saying is that's that's gotten to a point that it's inflated the value of companies beyond how consumers value the brands. And what they're saying is consumers are no longer valuing brands. And that's based on research they've done over the years with a very sophisticated surveying tool called the Brand Asset Valuator, where they, where they measure brand loyalty, brand preference, brand awareness, and brand trust. 
They've done that for the last 15 to 20 years, and they've shown a steep decline in those metrics. And so what they're saying is what, what you and I as consumers value in brands is going down, but the market, what they value in brands is going up. So it's creating this bubble and that could burst, which could drive down the valuation of all these companies. It's a very interesting premise. You guys follow that so far? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, I think so. Okay. So the problem I'm going to have with it, I think, and I'm going to get deeper into it, is the whole thing is based on consumer attitudes. And basically what they're saying is these surveys are showing people are saying they don't value brands anymore. And my concern is what we've talked about over and over and over again. What people say does not equate what people right. do. Yeah, that's right. And so I think, I think there's going to be some ways to try to look at that and, and test what they're talking about. So we're going to dig into that. Jackie is going to work on a, a research project. And maybe you can present the results, Jackie, when we get to that. But I'm going to read a, um, a quote that I think captures my concern um, about what they're trying to, to convey here. But do you guys get my what I'm talking about, what my issue might be with it? Right, yeah. I mean, I think an easy way to think about it is when you go to the store and shop, how many people go through the store and just randomly pick products? I don't right. have any brand loyalty. I'm going to pick this, Peter. I don't care. I have no, you know, I think if we're honest with ourselves, most people usually pick the same brands over and over because they're comfortable. They know what they are. Sure, you vary sometimes, um, but I don't know. I think it's popular to rebel against the system a little bit. And I think we've kind of gotten to a place where, I don't know, some of the big brands that people have been loyal to over the years almost feel just like a part of the, a part of the system now and, and saying yep. that you're not loyal to them or saying that, uh, yeah, you know, that, that they don't matter is just, it's kind of a way of, I don't know, making I don't know, making yourself feel better, a little stronger that you're not yes. uh, that you're not flexing and bending to the to the will of the system and the man and everybody else around you. Yes, yeah, that's I think, it. I, I think that. yeah, but what? But when you know when rubber meets the road, I think we're still pretty swayed by it. I know, I know, I am for some things. I mean, I I, I probably am, I probably am an example of somebody who could grow into the grocery store and just not have a whole lot of brand loyalty really in there um, just because I hate the grocery store and I typically will look for things that are on sale. Even if it's not a brand that I recognize, it's like, Oh, well that's cheaper. I'll just grab that one. You know, it might end up sucking and I might end up ever buying it again. Um, yeah. But I, I am kind of that way when it comes to the grocery store, but you know, when it comes to other areas like uh, computer software or computers or musical equipment, man, I'm a sucker for brand loyalty. There are there are brands that I will stick to like you wouldn't believe just because I know that they make good products, and I I just I know I can rely on them. Jackie, what do you think of that? A lot of this is generational, by the way. They they'll say folks like Jackie's age and even Adam in your generation, the millennials are way more. You know, they're the ones that are saying brands, you know, everything you just said, Adam. I mean, what's your take on that, Jackie? Do you feel that way? Yeah, I I actually totally feel that way. I mean, if I have to pick out, you know, a type of pasta at the store, I'm not going to. It really is based on what Adam said. Like Adam said, it's based on what's on sale for me. But when it comes to things maybe you're 
investing more money in. I mean, for me, it's for me, it's clothes. <laughs> but I mean, then I have and same with, you know, I'm pretty brand brand loyal when it comes to computers and stuff. So, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's how much money you're putting into it. I don't know. But yeah, I totally agree with Adam. Well, I, Adam, I think you completely captured my my premise for for why I think this is wrong. Oh, hold on. I'm being paged. <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, I'm early in the book, so I shouldn't be premature with all this. But they're basically saying because people's attitudes have gone down, that reflects that they actually aren't brand loyal anymore. And what I think has happened over the last 15 to 20 years is exactly what you said, Adam. It's become um, because of transparency through the Internet, through social media, because we've had so many scandals. If you think mm -hmm. back to the Enron scandal, start with that. Go through the stock bubbles that we've had, you know, right. all the things that happened over the last couple of years. People are saying, you know, these companies suck and there's no way I'm loyal to them, right? So here's the statistic that I, that I pull out that I think just it captures it perfectly. They make a huge deal of this. According to the research, only 4% of consumers would stick with a brand if the competition often offered something of better value for the same price. Now, that's, that's based on their surveys. And they, they're saying, you know, 4%. Boy, that really shows you there's no brand loyalty. Well, who the hell in a survey is going to go, <laughs> yeah, you know, if somebody offers something better for the same or lower price, I'm not going to go with it. Nobody is going to say that on a survey. Right. Yeah. Right. But in so reality, in reality, we do. And, and this is where, you know, um, I've talked about this book before, Biology. Uh, I'm rereading it because now I have my Kindle hooked into my iPhone so I can read and sync both. And I just ran across this this morning talking about some of the surveys or the research they've done using fMRI technology. And one study, this is what they said, it revealed the hidden truths behind branding and marketing messages work in the human brain, how our truest selves react to stimuli at a level far deeper than conscious thought and how our unconscious minds control our behavior, usually the opposite of how we think we behave. So right. what would be interesting would be to follow you two guys in a grocery store and to see if you really do just always pick the lowest price or if you think that's what you do, whether because you think you want to do that or because that's just you've done it sometimes or whether you really do it. The only way to know is to track mm -hmm. your receipts, right? To go back and pull your target receipts from last year. Right. And look at the brands and see how much you stick with it. It may be based on lowest won. price, but that's still a brand, a brand loyalty. Well, go ahead, Jackie. I was just going to say, maybe I want to take back. I think one of, the strong, one, of the, one of the big brands that I think people point to a lot as being something that people remain loyal to is soda. Like some people are Coke yeah, drinkers, some that. people are Pepsi yeah. drinkers. It kind of... I mean, like with the whole taste test challenge thing that's been happening for years, it's probably there's probably no two better brands to to put side by side to demonstrate brand loyalty. Um, but you know, I I'm the kind of person in a grocery store that I will I will go to the Coke and Pepsi and I will see which one is on sale because typically one of them's on an end cap and it's on sale. And I'll, right. I'll buy whichever one's on sale. I just need my caffeine fix. I don't really care what the flavor is behind it. I just need to get that stuff into my veins so I can keep going during the day yeah, so for I me I, i'm not really well i shouldn't say that totally because i, I am kind of a sucker for dr pepper even if, even <laughs> if even if one of those two is on sale and dr pepper is not i might still be grabbing the uh the dr pepper well and adam i'd love to i'll go ahead jackie sorry i keep 
Well, no, I was just going to say the more I think about it, the more I, you know, I was thinking of maybe more generic things like milk, but the more I think about it, I definitely go into a grocery store and sometimes I don't care about the price if I'm looking for something really specific, especially if it's a health food item. So I don't know. That's what I meant about well, Adam, wanting a take back is I think I do. I use I use Adam's quote from a couple of podcasts ago, and maybe it's not fair because it may not represent your actual behavior, Adam, but I think it's it's classic where we were talking about physicians and convenience and loyalty. And, you know, you were you were saying, you know, well, I'm not, I don't have any loyalty to my physician. I, I would switch, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I said, well, have you ever switched? And you were like, no. And, and that, I think, <laughs> that kind of, that, whether, that's, whether that's a fair assessment of you, it, it, is, it is a great example of how I think it works, which is, yeah, I'd be open to switching. I'd always switch. But, but the behavior hasn't reflected that. And I think what they're trying to say is, you know, people's behavior has changed and that's where this bubble is going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, again, we won't have to get too much into it right now, but I think there's some ways to test whether their behavior has actually changed. And we're going to try to do that and see if we can tie it back to this book and say, well, if this were true, then we'd be seeing this and we're not seeing that. Or maybe we will see it. And and there was always a segment of the population that's just price driven, right? And there's always mm-hmm. a segment yeah. of the population that isn't brand driven, the question is whether that's changed between 1990 and now. You know, whether the, yeah. the number of people that are completely price driven, which everyone usually says is like 10% of the population, whether that's changed or whether the number of people that are, uh, you know, beholden to no brands at all, whether that's changed. That's the real litmus test. Yay. Yeah. Right Hello. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh, All right, so should we move on to? Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think we'll. I think it'll be fun to, to see what we, you know, what we can find on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Adam, you've been very patient because I know you know what the agenda is, and <laughs> you know we're running out of time, and we might skip the last segment that we have here just so we can spend the rest of our time on uh, the iPad. Which do that next time. We, let's do the iPad now. Sure. No, the other stuff. And we'll talk about. Yes, we'll do the other stuff next time, but. Uh, they re- they announced the iPad uh, yesterday. Yesterday. So, mm-hmm. what are your guys' first thoughts? Did you shed a tear, Adam? <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it looks. I think it's pretty awesome what they're doing. I'm kind of still on the fence whether or not I think I need one. I certainly want one, um, <laughs> but I'm trying to decide if I need one. I think I'll probably get one and maybe we should say what it is first before we just talk about whether or not we want one um if you if you (laughs) if you were on the internet at all yesterday you probably have already seen something whether it's on a news website on facebook i think twitter like literally imploded because of it um but apple has uh, launched a new product called the ipad and it's kind of a cross between an iphone and a laptop computer basically i mean that's that's when when Steve Jobs was giving his keynote, you know, he had up on the screen an iPod on, or an iPhone on one side and a laptop on the other side, and he had a big question mark in the middle, um, indicating you know there's some, there's something in between here that people probably want, um, and we think we know what it is, and we think the iPad is that. Uh, it's basically a big iPhone that can do a lot more than an iPhone. Um, just larger screen, large touch surface. Um, you kind of need to watch the video to get a really true uh, uh, 
perception or uh, to, to really see it in action to see what it can do. But um, in the market they're going after is, is people who have, you know, they've determined that they don't necessarily need a laptop. Um, they feel they need something more than a smartphone. They feel that the iPad is that, you know, some people are using netbooks right now. Um, Steve Jobs, very, you know, his, I, 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 this won't be verbatim, but he basically said, you know, Netbooks are filling this need that people have identified that 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 exists, but they're crap, and they really are. I mean, most netbooks are crap. If you want a decent netbook, you have to pay pretty much laptop price for it for something that's not going to be just a total pile of junk. Um, everybody I know who has ever gotten a netbook, the thing is is just it's sluggish, it's cheaply made, the screen is poor quality. Um, and that certainly can't be said for the iPad. This thing looks like it's, you know, if it, like an iPhone, like it's built like a, a brick poop house, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, basically, I mean, well, if, if there's a video, I know Apple's, the keynote is up on the Apple website right now. It's, it's about an hour and a half long. Um, I had some of it on <laughs> last night, but you can watch Steve Jobs demo the product and see some of the, uh, Software developers that got up on stage and showed how um, how it runs ga- games. Uh, you know, um, there's a whole new version of iWork, which is Apple's Office Suite, that's been developed for this device specifically. Um, and they're opening it up to all iPhone apps run on it, and they're opening it up to app developers to start making stuff for it. So it looks pretty cool, you know. But the most exciting thing for me, I think, is the e-reader aspect of it. Chris, yeah. I know you. You've got a Kindle. I've yep. been wanting to get a Kindle for a long time. Um, I just haven't quite pulled the trigger on it yet. And and as soon as the real big rumors about Apple entering the market with uh, with with well, what is now the iPad, you know, I was just holding off to see what it is that they were going to introduce. Um, so for me, the main reason I might pick one up is for that e-reader functionality. The only thing that scares me a little bit is the stress on the eyes from a from a LED screen versus the Kindle, right. which uses that e-paper, does it does it not make phone calls though? It's like an iPhone, except for it doesn't. You can't dial right. out on it, right? Okay. Um, I mean, it's 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 got Wi-Fi. It's it can have three G if you want it. Um, but it's not a phone in and of itself because it has it has a microphone built in and speakers on it. Um, so you could use something like Skype if you are on a network to make some calls, but it it okay. itself won't have like a, you know a, a built-in mobile phone. Okay. You know that yeah, it looks cool. I think it it looked very cool, and I was showing my son the videos you're talking about, Adam, and I'm like, imagine the laptop that I'm looking at right now. It's a 13 inch MacBook. Imagine you could just tear the screen off and hold it in your hands. Mm-hmm. That's basically, right. you know, it's maybe not be that quite big, but it's pretty close to that size. Yeah, pretty. Close. But what's interesting was my first thought was, um, God, this would be great to watch videos on, just like I watch videos on my laptop, and I'm like. How would I, you know, how would I hold it up? It'd be great if there was a stand to hold up the iPad so that when I was watching a movie, I wouldn't have to hold it. And I'm like, that's my laptop. My laptop sits right here and the screen's propped up. <laughs> what, <laughs> what am I going to do with the iPad when I'm sitting there for a two-hour movie holding the darn thing? I'm going to have to, like, find some way to rig it so that it, kind of like my Kindle. When I don't want to hold mm-hmm. my Kindle, I have to, like, if I'm in bed, I have to mush up my blankets so it props up in there uh, and doesn't fall over or whatever. Unless well, you're come holding up with the stand. iPad, they'll come up with well, a stand, but well, that's a already, laptop. Yeah, well, they've already got a stand. If yeah. you've seen the accessories, they've got one dock, which basically 
you know, props it up at an angle, like your screen laptop screen would be. That's one of the docks. The other dock is the same thing, but with a keyboard on it, the very small uh-huh. aluminum keyboard. Um, so basically, Chris, you could have like those two keyboard docks, like maybe one at your desk in the office, one at your desk at home, and then your iPad, which you bring, you know, in between the two. And then when you're out and about, you know, you've got some, a much smaller device to pull out um, to do things when you're on the road, especially if, you know, if it involves a lot of typing, that might be difficult. Although the on-screen keyboard looks like it might actually be, you know, take a little getting used to, um, but it looks like it's probably pretty usable. But here's um, the deal. I mean, if I'm going to do all that, why wouldn't I just have my laptop? I can't use, I mean, you said you can yeah. use iWork, right? Yeah. But, yep. but it's all the other software that I'd want to use, I don't know that I can get it on there. Uh, at that point, it's a laptop. And, right. and it sounds like you're constructing all this extra stuff to make a laptop when you could just have a laptop. Well, I think to me, it's thing, a big iPhone. That's, the, that's what right, I would well, use I, it for. Well, I think for you, you're, you're a good example of somebody who might not, it might not be a good, a good fit for. Uh, right. You've got a laptop. You've got an iPhone. Um, right. You've already got a Kindle as well. So it's kind of like you've got your bases <laughs> covered. Um, the iPad is probably a great solution for somebody who's, who doesn't have their bases covered like that or who wants something that's smaller and even more, um, portable, uh, than, than a laptop. That makes sense. Someone who would buy a netbook. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it looks exciting. Um, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. I'll probably get one at some point. I don't know if I'll get it right away, but like I said, I don't have an e-reader yet. I want an e-reader. So that might have to be the uh, the ticket. We'll see. It'd be nice to get my hands on it first and play with it for a little while. So once they're in the Apple store, I'll have to go down and check it out. Yep. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. And uh, the only other negative thing I've seen is people seem to be complaining that it doesn't let you multitask. But, you know, I've had my iPhone for whatever, two or three years, and it's never bothered me on that. So I don't know. Yeah. It's never even occurred yeah. to me that I can't multitask. And I can multitask. I can... I could be talking on the phone and surf the net at the same time. Right. Um, but beyond that, I never really think, well, I want to be playing a game and writing an email at the same time. That makes no sense to me. Right. Why in the world, right. how can I do both of those at the same time? So I don't know that that's that big of a deal. It sounds like, you know, kind of nitpicking, but maybe it is to some people. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. always thought that was kind of a BS complaint about the iPhone. It's not okay. meant to be a desktop computer that's designed right. to do a million things at once. Right. Okay, well, we're past our magic half hour, so people have probably already already tuned out on our <laughs> iPad. But that's all right. Are we ready to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Sure. All right. For Healthcare Marketing Insights, this is Chris Bevelo. Adam Meyer. Jackie Ritacco. Uh We will talk to you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.